Our passage this morning comes from Genesis 2, 20 through 25. Listen for what God is saying to you. The human named all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but a helper perfect for him was nowhere to be found. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. When with the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The human said, this one finally is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called a woman because she is a man because from a man she was taken. This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife and they become one flesh. The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they weren't embarrassed. May God un- bless our understanding of this reading of scripture. So um, I have to confess, I have been thinking about this particular sermon since August. It's the last um, sermon in our series about love and relationships and sex, um, because this one is about marriage, and I'm married, and I was like, oh no, I have to really think about this. Um, Well, I mean, I think about all of them, but... uh, I'm not going to say that God did this, but um, this morning when we when uh, we when Sela, my daughter, woke up, she had a little bit of a fever, and so Rich is not here <laughs> this morning. So that makes me feel a little bit better. Anyway, please, let's uh, let us pray. God, we give you thanks for um, walking with each one of us in uh, in our journeys, wherever we may be, and that you are so gracious to us um, enough to uh, let us pick ourselves up when we fall down and. Um, that uh, your spirit moves in so many new ways that um, even when we have done things uh, countless times that uh, there are new opportunities to feel nervous and um, fresh uh, about what it is that you may be doing. Open our hearts and minds to receive what it is that you have to say to us today. Uh, May your spirit move freely within and throughout each one of us such that we might experience um, life-giving transformation for the sake of this world. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So about a month ago, a friend of mine posted um, a Facebook post, and um, I don't know if you can read it, but he's, uh, I'd never heard of this term. It says, um, how does one find a hashtag swolemate suggestions? So I'd never heard of this term swolemate before, so I turned to my sometimes raunchy but generally trustworthy buddy, Urban Dictionary, to shed some light. And as it turns out, your swole mate is the person that you work out with, the person that you get swole with, right? Swollen being your muscles. Um, But of course, it's not just a workout buddy in the casual sense, but you're like real in it to win it workout partner, right? You hold each other accountable, you encourage each other, you spot one another, your person at the gym, right? That someone who is your person in the life sense, um, like I said, is what we're talking about this morning. It's the final Sunday. We're talking about marriage, um, which is, of course, the deepest expression of love commitment most of us can make. These days, when we think about marriage, it often ha- we often have this concept of a soulmate or partner of life in, for life and mind. Movies, music, fairy tales, advertising, it all sort of points to this idea of marriage as the ultimate expression of romantic love. 
But this idea is actually fairly modern, this concept of marriage. Up until about 50 or 60 years ago, romantic love was at best just as important or maybe even actually less important, than, depending on your circumstances, than social, political, or economic realities in your life. And the average age of people who got married was significantly younger. Nowadays, people are getting married later, and part of this is because some of the reasons why people would get married have changed, right? Um, the ones that I mentioned before, and some of the more sort of stigma-oriented reasons, things like living together um, before being married as a thing that was frowned on, or the fear of getting pregnant, or sexually transmitted infection, those just aren't as pressing because the changes in attitude and education um, that are, are prevalent now. And so with the kind of more pragmatic reasons out of the way, folks have shifted from thinking about all of these external reasons to sort of the more internal reasons of why would I get married. So Dr. Helen Fisher um, is a leading anthropologist um, on how our brains work when, when, we're kind of, when we're in love or when we're having sex. And she's a, a researcher, uh, one of the lead researchers for Match.com, actually, as well. And so as part of that research, she conducts an, conducts an annual study called Singles in America. And this study reveals pretty valuable insights about the ideals and expectations that people have about marriage. Um, so here she is talking about some findings in an interview with Krista Tippett um, in, for the podcast On Being. So um, a lot of people are looking for their partners to be like their everything these days. And you may be one of those people. Yeah, my partner has to be all of these things or forget it, right? But if you took a second and thought about it, what if someone expects all of those things from you and kind of flipped it around? It makes you kind of pause a little bit, right? I don't know if I could be all those things, but I definitely want someone else to be all those things for me. Is it possible for you to be all of these things for someone else all of the time. Is it even realistic? 
But, you know, all of this really points to a deeply rooted desire for connectedness, to be truly known, deeply known, and have someone walk with you on your daily journey. Where does this desire come from? Well, you know, the writers of our, um, of our scriptural texts uh, have, have done some thinking about that. In our passage for today, we read a portion of uh, the second creation story, and I'm going to assume that you all know that there are two creation stories in the Bible. If you don't, the first one is in Genesis 1. The second one is Genesis 2. Read it. You'll figure it out. So the second creation story is thought to be written by a different author than the writer of Genesis 1. And a lot of this is due, if you read it, you'll kind of hear it. It's due to the tone and the content. And while Genesis 1 has a more factual tone, Genesis 2 has a more kind of narrative quality to it. And I'm not going to delve too far into this because it will completely derail this sermon, but I will say, because we don't often um, preach on the the creation stories, I will say that the creation stories of Genesis 1 and 2 um, are true. And they're true, not necessarily in a factual way, the way that we understand truth in the Western sense, right? Uh, Quantitative, all of that. But they're true in the ancient Hebrew culture and tradition for which this story was written. They're true in the way that any origin story is true. They tell us about our core identity, our purpose, our meaning. They shape our sense of who we are, why we are, and what we are. So it's true in that way. So in this passage in Genesis 2, um, which is a pretty common wedding passage, God makes a human called Adam, which basically means being from the earth, and together they partner in helping to create shape uh, and help help shape create creation god creates adam names and there's kind of this synergy that they have right things are popping um but while they're doing this all of this there's this this note that um, the author puts in but a perfect helper for him adam um, could nowhere could be found while they are working they're looking they're looking they're looking for someone for adam and they just can't quite find it And God is like, ah, I know. So God puts Adam to sleep, draws another being, human being, from Adam's side. And when Adam wakes and he sees, it clicks. This is the one. This, this one is bone of my bone, flesh from my flesh. Here, this is my person. This is someone that I can know and be known by, someone I can stand shoulder to shoulder with. And the author makes this comment, this is the reason why a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and the two become one flesh. This deep connectedness, this deep knowing, this is the reason why people get married, why they leave sort of their family systems that they have known to connect and create a new family system. That's where our passage ends today. But what is marriage exactly? In the Christian tradition, we often use this word to describe marriage, covenant. And biblically speaking, a covenant is a deep promise, an oath-bound relationship. A covenant is an idea and it's an enacted reality or an embodied behavior. So in its most base form, it's a contract. It's a contract that says, I'll do this and you'll do this. And you both agree to the terms and you sign on the dotted line, right? Um, A covenant... Uh, isn't just a promise that's made, though. It's a promise that is also kept and embodied. It's not enough to say, I love you truly, madly, deeply. There also has to be this piece of, and at the most basic level, this is what that looks like, right? 
In most weddings that I perform, the marriage promise looks something like this. I promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful partner in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. And so you see that it's more than a contract or a promise. There's kind of a deep vulnerability, right, to the, pro the agreement that you're making. I promise to journey with you through all of it, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the boring stuff, and the exciting stuff. And through it all, I will be loving and faithful. It's not very long, but there's a lot in there. And the way that I think about marriage, as I've been kind of meditating on this um, passage and, um, and its meaning, the marriage promise, I think, is a container for grace. In its intended form, marriage is a container that gives shape and holds the grace of a life lived together. I promise all of these things, all of these things, that's the shape of marriage. And this is the really beautiful thing, I think. It means that there is space within the bounds of these promise, space to mess up and make right, space to become angry and to reconcile, space to figure things out over time for the long haul, to stick it out through dry times and times of abundance. And I'm not just talking about money here. I'm also talking about times when the relationship feels dry, that you have still held together, you're still being held together in this container of grace. You promise to stick it out and see it through. This kind of commitment is the most earthly form we have of the kind of commitment that God makes to us. It all sounds very poetic and exciting at the beginning. You're like Jack and Kate at the head of the Titanic, right? Um, but seriously, after the wedding is over and you've come back from the honeymoon, um, or maybe even during the honeymoon, you figure out, um, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard to stick it out and stay true to all of those promises that you have to do um, in this long-term marriage, right? As we know, Adam and his partner's story doesn't end there, right? You move on to chapter three, and they have to negotiate life together. And they have a rough go of it, don't they? And in those times and seasons when you mess up, or your partner mess up, or you both mess up and blame it on each other, like in chapter three, <laughs> and you need time to admit it, this is when you remember the bounds of that container. You both might be like this, but you're still there, right? Even the healthiest couples, it's hard to do this. And you can't do it by yourselves. It's difficult and it's false to assume that the two of you can just go it alone. It's just us, just the two of us. No, you need community. You need people who share your values and will help hold you together. There's a part in the marriage service when I turn to the people who are gathered in the room and I ask them, will you commit yourself to supporting this couple in their marriage life? And they all say yes. Hopefully they mean it. And, they, and that part is part of the service because they can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. According to Helen Fisher's study, it seems like people are looking for their partners to give and be just about everything to them. Best friend, trusted confidant, passionate lover, economic partner, social status, companion, co-parent, your swole mate. It's too much for any one person to bear all the time. And honestly, it's more than what we should expect from one person. And that's where community comes in. 
those people who have gathered to pledge their support to you in your marriage, the other communities that we're a part of, they are, they should be here, they should be there to support you in your marriage. If they don't, you really should question whether or not they should be in your life. I mean, Adam and his partner had community with God, who was definitely supportive of them. But they also had community with the serpent, right? And most of us know how that turned out. <laughs> Married folks need to be part of a broader community of people beyond themselves that will help them stay healthy and balanced and strong and give them perspective on stuff when they're all kind of locked in their own head, right? I mean, we need community before we're married. What makes us think that we don't need it afterward? Being part of a community that shares your values and supports your commitments, a community like Urban Village, helps you not only stay enlivened as an individual, but can help hold together your container of grace, right? Being part of a faith community also helps you to grow in your spiritual life together. It opens up space for engaging the deeper questions of life and spirit that no other places in your life regularly stir up. And I say all of that sometimes knowing that sometimes it doesn't work out. Right? In, in 1900, the average marriage lasted 12 years. And in 1990, can you guess the average length of a marriage? 12 years. Um, of course, the difference is that in 1900, marriage was shorter because someone died, basically, <laughs> from disease or childbirth or some other kind of accident. In 1990, the marriage length was reduced because of divorce. And there are lots of reasons why people divorce. This is not like a shaming moment, okay? There are lots of people why, uh, reasons why people divorce. The obvious ones, like emotional or physical violence um, or infidelity. But there are others, other reasons, reasons that I don't even know, right? Sometimes people change in a way that breaks the container. I don't know. Often the journey, if you have been with someone who has gone through divorce, the journey through divorce is painful and heartbreaking, not just for them, but for the people around them as well. And so, as a community, we'll hold the complexity of that pain and that sorrow delicately and with grace. Because we don't know all sides of everything, but we do know that we are called to love and to hold each other with grace. The marriage commitment provides space for two people to grow as individuals as well as a unit. It's a relationship that's marked with a specially, special boundary that says, I'm here. I'm here and I will be here. In the marriage commitment, time and space are created for you to move through the ebb and flow of life, to be sick of one another, to be grateful for one another, to be irritated and delighted, to be angry and reconciled. It's a container in which your, even your sexual self finds a new dimension. There is fun sex and there is forgettable sex. There is too much sex and there is absolutely no sex. There's tired sex, and there's awake sex. There is the discovery and rediscovery of yourself and one another. It's a relationship where, in its most God-designed form, we can stand as Adam and his beloved stood, naked and vulnerable and without shame before one another. A space where grace can abound. A space where we can be reflections of God's grace to one another to the best of our ability. And for that, I say, thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, help us, whether we are married or partnered or single or not sure what, help us to be containers of grace for one another. 
help us to practice that model of relationship that you are enacting with us so that we might more fully uh, be reflections of your steadiness, your love, and your spaciousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.